Yeah, they haven't mm-hmm. been able to figure out how to give people like not dead eyes though. Anytime I see one of those AI videos, the eyes are always dead. I'm gonna blink my eyes really hard now. So no. <laughs> this is all an AI episode, by the way. The whole thing is AI. <laughs> Phoned it in this week. If I, I were artificial, would I look like this? Come on. <laughs> All right, welcome back to the Loopcast, Catholic Vote's weekly rundown on all things faith, culture, and politics. As always, it's me, Tom, Erica, and Josh. And today we're here to discuss the next front for the abortion lobby. It's something not a lot of people know about. What I'm referring to is abortion by mail. And so, Erica, we just had something drop this past week, major news and not getting a lot of coverage, I think for good reason. And it actually could put a lot of people in a really tough spot when it comes to conscious rights. What just happened last Mm -hmm. week? Sure. So there's kind of two stories here, but the one that happened most recently following a change in policy by the FDA, which actually rolled out on January 3rd, this week, CVS and Walgreens, your friendly neighborhood pharmacies, uh, announced that they will sell chemical abortion drugs, uh, specifically mifepristone and misoprostol to anyone with a prescription for them. Uh, Previous to this change in the FDA policy, these drugs could only be obtained at clinics, medical offices, and hospitals. Now you can get them the same place you get your antibiotics or your inhaler for your child with asthma. Got it. And so as opposed to having to go to specialized places, we're talking CVS and Walgreens. And just to be clear, there's no other use for mifepristone than abortion, right? Right. Yeah, the FDA is really clear on this, and they've said themselves on their website when they originally approved the drug um, last year in 2022, they said the only purpose for which you may prescribe mifepristone and misoprostol is to end, quote, an intrauterine pregnancy through 10 weeks. Um, So they are clearly designed and adapted and intending for producing chemical abortion. Um, And the the only purpose for which they may be marketed or prescribed is to end a uh, human life. Right. And so why has this become the latest push? It, 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 I think what I really struggle with is these are really dangerous drugs. I mean, they're mm-hmm. used in order to chemically end a pregnancy. And that to me, a, a, a baby. baby. Yeah. Oh my gosh. To the it's baby, like they a, are the ultimate danger. <laughs> well, it, it's a danger to the baby, but it's also a danger to women, right? I mean, I, I'd imagine there's yeah. been some clinical studies run on this and they haven't come back completely safe, right? Yeah. I mean, so not surprisingly, it's hard to find a lot of these longitudinal studies. And I was writing on this this issue last fall when the the problem with mail-in people who were mailing these drugs illegally to women in the United States the FDA actually itself came out and was cautioning um, against sending these drugs by mail because they are dangerous and they require the oversight of a doctor if they are to at all uh, not endanger the woman's life. So um, journalist Michael New, who does a lot of research on uh, stats when it comes to abortion, the abortion industry, he, uh, he's been set putting up the FDA data on the, quote, adverse events that are caused by chemical abortions. So these longitudinal studies stretch from September 2000, when the first iterations of these drugs were approved, to June of last year. There were 28 deaths caused by the drug in the women taking them. Adverse events, which are basically any complications, there were over 4,200 adverse events related to the drug over 1,000 hospitalizations, over 600 blood losses requiring transfusions, and um, over 480 infections. So this is not not a quote-unquote safe drug for the woman. It's obviously fatal to the child uh, when it is successful, Mm quote-unquote. But it is not, it, it can cause some serious health complications for the mother. Yeah, and it seems to me with even questions as to the safety to push this so hard and to make it so normative to just, you know, walk down the street and go to your CVS or whatever, this has to be a money play, right? I mean, there's no way that the Dobbs decision was good for the abortion lobby and all those people. So it's a money game, right? That's all I could think about here. Why else would they be putting people at risk? 
Yeah. I mean, I think the abortion industry is just that. It's an industry, right? And I, I looked this up from ahead of the show. The market size for family planning industries, which is, you know, news speak for yeah. abortion uh, in the USA, it's estimated at $3.8 billion right now by IBIS World. And of course, Planned Parenthood has a $1.3 billion market share in that. So this is... There is a lot of money in this, and I think with the the dropping of the Dobbs decision and the overturning of the federal mandate on abortion, it was a huge blow to the abortion industry, and they started to shake in their boots a little. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, um, you know, making these drugs widely available at your local neighborhood pharmacy uh, is just pushing that agenda, making it that much easier for women to get abortions. Uh, in this case, chemical abortions, which are more hidden, right? Like you don't see it happening. You don't, there isn't like, we can't go to a Planned Parenthood abortion clinic and pray outside it. Th these are abortions happening in our bathrooms and in our neighborhoods and in our homes, um, yeah. fueled by this effort to just push it. Yeah. And I guess another question too, what kind of position does this put America's pharmacy tax or, uh, hmm pharmaceutical workers in if you're holding in your hand a drug that you know the explicit purpose for the only purpose for is to chemically end a life mm -hmm. are we going to see lawsuits what, what's the next step here i can't imagine a pharmacy worker of good conscience would feel okay doing something like that mm, yeah i mean the difference between this and other drugs or contraceptives that you know we've had conscious conscience right fights over for pharmacists and pharmacy workers in the past is that this drug is unquestionably the only reason you would be handing this across the counter to a woman standing there or to a secondary person picking up the drug who is hopefully not forcing her to take it. The only reason you would hand that drug over the counter is to end a child's life. That's it. There's no like, oh, maybe it's a therapeutic. Maybe it's, you know, helping someone who has depression. No, 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 no. This is for one purpose only. So for me, thinking about standing in the shoes of a pharmacy worker or a pharmacist, um, I'm getting a little nervous here, right? Yeah. And in the past, Walgreens especially has been at least publicly understanding about pharmacists with conscience uh, objections to contraceptives. Um, but we've got to really push back on this on behalf of pharmacists who don't want to to hand that drug over. Well, I mean, again, it's one of those things where the you know the abortion industry has ad uh, adapted because. Not just you're you're not just seeing lots of state laws protecting unborn life uh, from Texas to Idaho and everywhere in between. Uh, obviously, blue states are going the other way. They're hmm. uh, they're opening. They're giving the green light to the the killing of babies. Unfortunately, but yeah, I mean you're seeing this difference. Like you know, if you if if you wanted to abort a child thirty years ago, twenty years ago, you're having to go to a facility. And you're right. Now it comes to you in the mail. Or you get it at your drugstore, and the abortions themselves, as Erica says, are performed in the privacy of the home. It, it, it's a lot like what pornography used to be like. I mean, mm. you know, 30, 40 years ago, you go to some creepy, you know, movie theater. You know, that's what happened to one actor, you know, played P.B. Herman. He's like, well, what's this? Well, it just doesn't happen anymore. There's no, there's no, you know, walk of shame going to the drugstore and getting, you know, it putting in a brown paper bag, you get it all downloaded right onto your computer. And so you see a proliferation, you know, of the effect of pornography on society. Well, in this way, you know, the abortion industry is like, yeah, this would be great if we didn't have to worry about protesters outside our facilities. If we could just have it at every, I mean, what are you going to protest every CVS, Walgreens? Right. You know, every mm -hmm. pharmacy in the country. Uh, are you going to protest the Postal Service because we're going to do uh, abortion by mail? Um, and so it really does open up a new front. And that's why I think it's been very good that the pro-life movement hasn't just fought for laws, which we have. We fought for mm -hmm. uh, enacting pro-life laws, but we've also tried to change hearts. Mm -hmm. You know, we've right. tried to do our best to be there, to witness to, to moms in need by giving them diapers and baby formula for or clothing for their children. We've also just tried to say, hey, look, you know. Uh, don't believe society. It tells you that your life's over if you get pregnant. Like we're, you know, we're there to help. We can do things for you. So you're changing the hearts and mind and making people more open to being pro-life. And so as a new okay. technology or a new way of aborting a child comes to the picture, 
hopefully more and more people will be turning away from it. But right. yeah, it's kind of scary to see. Can these I ask new you a question? Technologies. Because I, I, I want to be empathetic to the other side because what mm. I see here is the next logical argument to me is well, if they don't get this kind of drug at an early stage of a pregnancy, they're just going to do a really dangerous coat hanger type abortion. And we wouldn't want to put women in that kind of situation. So this may be a better alternative. I'm just playing devil's advocate. I obviously wouldn't advocate for that. But what would your answer be to someone like that? Who That's how they see this sure. issue. Yeah, sure. I mean, there's been studies done on this. So abortion drugs, first of all, have been shown to cause such painful abortions. Because you think about what's happening. It's it's like the most painful miscarriage labor a woman could possibly go through because it's not the body naturally, you know, um, getting rid or, you know, shedding itself of a child who's died, but it's actually induced. So in addition, and, it did, and in addition to killing the unborn child, um, it's shown that chemical abortions are four times as likely as surgical abortions to result in medical complications and trauma. And in fact, I was just looking this up as well. After a chemical abortion, there's a 53% greater risk of an ER visit for abortion complications. 53%. That's really high for any other medical procedure or desired outcome to have 53% higher for chemical abortions than surgical abortions. And I'll, I'll drop the name of that study um, that was done uh, in the show notes as well for anyone who wants to read it for themselves. And it really shouldn't surprise us because it's being, right. you know, no it, surprise. It's, it's be, you know it's being taken you know at home and maybe not even mm -hmm. in consultation with the doctor very closely as opposed to you know a procedure which is done right at a facility we would prefer obviously neither of well, those to occur. That's the point. But that's the point, right? Is I think that we should all desire a world in which no woman should ever be in that position where they have to make that choice. Why, why don't they we feel like they have to take correct? Them. But, but why can't we, we take, you know, the $5 billion that go into the abortion industry or the chemical industry here and use that money to give to mothers who are in tough positions like this, or try to improve positions of the poor. I think people get too narrow and your only options are a painful, dangerous mm -hmm. chemical abortion or a coat hanger abortion. Instead of saying, Wait, why are we taking care of both the woman? Child well, it's important to know about the coat hanger thing, though. It's just like that was a big uh, talking point for the left in the 1970s and 1980s. You still um, see symbols you know, and everywhere. Pro-life. Yeah, of course. And, you know, Bernard Nathanson was one of the founders of NARAL. Uh, he was a he was an abortionist himself. And he later said, like, we came up with a lot of those numbers. We made that stuff up. And yeah. we sat around, we just inflated the numbers. The back alley like abortion numbers, we just made them up. Yeah, so, right. you know, a lot of that stuff is, is you know, it's not that it never happened. I didn't say that. But it's mm -hmm. a myth to think it was nearly as big as it was. And the fact is, you, you know, the law is an educator. People say culture matters more. Of course, culture is huge. But the law is a teacher as well. And, you know, people in Texas are starting to realize, like, hey, we have better options. You know, we're, we're going to take care of people. We're going to... At provide funding to pregnancy resource centers, but we're not going to allow this to happen anymore. We're going to be a mm -hmm. pro-life state. And that has an effect. You know, that does change the way people think about it. That does make a positive difference. Now, are some of them going to, you know, some women going to get on an airplane and fly, you know, to somewhere else? Um, yeah, of course. Uh, I, that's, that's the case. But overall, you know, since Dobbs was overturned, we saw lots of states pass laws and Tens of thousands of babies that were are alive today because of that, um, and I think we need to focus here is that the Biden administration is using every single tool and approach possible to expand abortion, and mm -hmm. you, you know, the, like I, I guess before Roe v. Wade was overturned, a lot of the Catholic Democrats would try to say, "Oh, we're at a stalemate. Republicans want to overturn Roe v. Wade, but it'll never happen." What can we do? Vote for our guy because he's better on other issues. Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, what happened now? You know, Roe v. Wade's overturned. You got no excuse anymore. And now you have a president, a Democratic president, who calls himself a devout Catholic when he obviously is not. And he's using every, every method possible to expand abortion. He wants more babies to die. That's his goal. He's, you know, giving the green light to the FDA, you know, everything. He's telling his, you know, his Department of Justice, you know, make sure the Postal Service can send out abortion pills, all these things. It, it, and, and when the you know, Justice Department, he wants them to look the other way when 
pregnancy resource centers are attacked. I mean, it's just, it, you can't, mm-hmm. you know, when I, during the Obama administration, you're thinking to yourself, how could there possibly be another presidential administration that could be more pro-abortion than this one? Well, Joe <laughs> welcome Biden has, to the Biden administration. Yeah, Joe Biden has done it. <laughs> right. It's, I mean, it's just, I mean, we laugh because it's like, sometimes you have to laugh because it's just so, you laugh, it's you cry. pathetic and it's, sad and scary. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you, you, you kind of throw up your hands. You say, you know, come Lord Jesus, because this is crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I- just to like piggyback on that, I think that the second story that's connected to the CVS Walgreens, which was um, that the the Department of Justice sent this letter um, to the to the U.S. Postal Service to clarify a question they had, because it is against federal law to use the mail service to send abortion drugs. Right. It's already against the law. There's there's a code written in it's code 1461 and it prohibits mailing mifepristone and misoprostol. So the USPS, they send a question to the DOJ. Do we really have to follow this? And the DOJ comes back and says, basically, no, you don't have to follow us. And they do this, uh, you know, mental gymnastics and workaround of the law saying, well, uh, the law does not prohibit the mailing or the delivery or receipt by mail of these drugs if the sender lacks the intent that the recipient of the drugs will use them unlawfully. And you're like, wait, what? Where? And you're thinking to yourself, like, I, when did the, the Justice Department hire Jesuits? <laughs> <laughs> Boom. <laughs> Just a little church politics reference in there for you. Thanks, Mercer. Uh. <laughs> Yeah. And to wrap this all up, we actually here at Catholic Vote are working on a coalition letter to actually challenge mm-hmm. CBS and Walgreens to make them aware that, hey, guess what? You're turning your pharmacies into abortion clinics and you're putting a lot of your right. employees in these really tough conscience rights situations. So we are actually well, and- actively at work to fight mm-hmm. against this kind of thing. Right. And they're making it when they make themselves when Walgreens makes itself into the abortion clinic, while the current Department of Justice might be like, don't you worry. We'll look the other way. No enforcement. That doesn't mean that in two years, it won't be a completely different Department of Justice. Justice, praise, please, God. Yeah. My lips to God's ears. <laughs> um, but I think, you know, the letter is going to just be like, hey, guys, this is actually against federal law. So just remember, yeah. the DOJ might not always be wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I just wrote abortion. Facility. I don't like to even call them a clinic. I know. I prefer abortuary, abortion mill. Abortion facility is is you know yeah. So looking for euphemism, descriptive without being a total euphemism, but it's definitely not a clinic. Yeah, looking forward to having this uh, having a censor banner on all of our platforms. Awesome. Uh, That's the goal. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, no, it's true. Anytime we talk, YouTube is great about that. Like we mentioned, Mm -hmm. you know, pro-life legislation. Like, are you sure you want to do that? Don't you love abortion? Like, yeah, no, dog. That's not why we're in this (laughs) fight. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, thanks, dog. Uh, So let's bring us up here. You know, we're going to have a little bit of a tough episode here, but there's some really encouraging news. So uh, actually, the home city, Detroit, Michigan, uh, there is a Catholic urban village proposed for Detroit. And for those people unaware, it would be a village uh, right near Eastern Market. It's a really cool spot in Detroit. There is a beautiful parish there called St. Joseph's Cathedral. Uh, it's an institute of Christ the King Parish. And they have... Their I think pr- it's a shrine, actually. Oh, just a shrine, just so that cathedral. you don't... So the diocese don't male, come down on you. You were male. Wee, yeah. Wee. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey. Not a cathedral. It's a shrine. It's a shrine. <laughs> it's a shrine. They actually, I think, got a PBS grant for... Uh, rebuilding because it was built in the 1800s to serve the German population in Detroit. Oh, like it super historic. Absolutely gorgeous. It's very beautiful I, church. I've been there mm-hmm. many times. Yeah. It is unbelievable. So the priests there, they're, they're, they're called canons. They live a partially uh, pastoral and monastic life, and they very much are big on community. Part of the issue that St. Joseph is having and a lot of other churches around the country is people have to drive, you know, 45 minutes, an hour to come into the church to go to mass and then 45 minutes, an hour back. It's kind of hard to really build an everyday type community around there when you have that kind of reality. So St. Joseph's has answered the call. They're actually working on a project to build uh, somewhat of a community right outside of the church, uh, which would be the center would be a chapel. And then they'd have apartments and condos and homes all in this little block in Detroit 
with the goal of actually creating more of a living community where your entire life can be centered around your faith community, which I think is actually a really beautiful thing. And for those people that are, oh, wow, like this sounds like a cult or whatever. You're right in the heart of Detroit. Like walk down the street, go to a Lions game. Like there's it's it's definitely yeah. not the same, but it reminds me kind of, I think of a European model where, you know, the mm-hmm. church, the chapel is kind of the center of the town. And then you have a lot more walkability. Absolutely. I That's love so walkability. Cool. We, we talked about on this podcast, just in how colleges are kind of organized that way. When you grow mm-hmm. up, all of a sudden you have to drive everywhere. You miss out on that community. So I don't know. Are we going to yeah, be seeing I, a lot more of these around the country? What, what do you think is going to happen? I don't know. I think the idea is definitely taking hold in the United States. And something I love about the Detroit project is that the village, the village, I think it's called like St. Aidan's or Avon's or something. And um, it's going to be built on eight vacant blocks. Like Detroit's kind of has this reputation in the rest of the country. I'm from the Northeast. I'm like, oh, Detroit, it's like <laughs> zombie land, right? It's a yeah. dead city. So the idea of taking eight blocks and turning them into housing for Catholics of a range of economic um, strata, that's just super Catholic. Like, let's renew the world. It's almost like a physical, it is, it's a sacramental kind of uh, in, instance of our faith in action. So I, I hope it's successful. Yeah. Well, right. And it, I, I do like, as you say, Tom, that, it, you know, it, the idea is to have a community physically centered around a church and to, to have that walkability. And, you know, they've, they made it so that there'd be walking paths and, you know, a, a center green space, park, park space. Yeah. And, um, you know, we there, look. There have been advantages to having, you know, an automobile. I mean, this is, Mm. you know, a continent that's 3,000 miles. I mean, our country is like the size of a continent. It's 3,000 miles (laughs) wide. I I appreciate my car. It's, it it isn't, it, it, you know, it, to get across the state of Texas, you know, it, it, it's like traveling through seven countries in Europe, you know, (laughs) um, you know, so it's a, it's a vast land that we have here, but like, here's an opportunity where some creative people look at the situation and you're right. I mean, like te- uh, I've been to downtown Detroit many a times recently within the last few years. And I I'm, I'm actually very excited by this project. Um, there was the guy who uh, with Quicken loans, uh, uh Gilbert. He was the, yeah. Gilbert, he owns Quicken loans. He actually owns the basketball team in Cleveland. Yeah. And he has done a lot for the city to Detroit. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's bought up a lot of land and, and tried to, to build buildings and bring people in. He's trying to get Amazon and some of these big tech companies to come in. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, that's good. I, I mean, I'm not a big fan of big tech, but this, uh, this specific uh, project, man, I got to tell you, I mean, obviously I'm, you know, I'm in my mid forties and I've, I've got six kids and I got, I'm living in the rural area. Okay. But if I were a 20 year old spud, spud, man, I would be <laughs> all game for this living in yeah. a community like that and have the walkability. I think that's an exciting project. I, I and it's uh my friend Eric Bootsma, he's the architect. He's involved with this. Uh, he's done such great um work and he has an understanding of what uh architecture can do, you know. And mm-hmm. I, I you know, we were talking just last, you know, the last time about Pope Benedict and how there's really two effective apologia for the church. It's the holiness of people, but it's also its beauty. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, I, I do think having if we look at the the latter half of the 20th century, you know, the, and the last 20 years as well, having these big suburbs where, you know, everyone drives everywhere, um, you know, and you go to these big box stores and everything's centrally located there. And, you know, you can live a life where you're hardly ever, you know, interacting with humans. You're not walking, you know, mm-hmm. there's not that, um, and Americans like me, I'm included, we're getting more obese. I think part of it is that we're not building into just like normal walking. I mean, like, you know, yeah. it's just, it's just so I applaud this life. Effort. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, look at Europeans. The Europeans yeah. have these cities that, you know, you walk to the grocery store, you walk here. I mean, I, I do like the standard of living in the United States better. I do like that we have a little bit more freedom, I, yeah, obviously, <laughs> but uh, yeah, he's, he's no European nice tr- sympathizer. Yeah, no, no. but it's. I remember when I was going to Italy, not just in Rome, but in the in the countryside, just seeing the people and and the way they, you know, interacted inside their communities. I'm like, you know, we can have more of that instead of having Mm -hmm. these suburbs where you just have. I mean, to me, I don't have a problem 
sometimes the lefties go crazy. Oh, we're going to stop suburban sprawl. And they don't like that the that people, hmm. you know, just, you know, want to have their own house and stuff like that. But yeah, I, I agree. I understand their point. But like the, 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 the ticket here is to try to create communities where there's natural hubs mm-hmm. and people can walk. And there's, it just looks more beautiful that way. I, I have a lot to I have a lot to contribute because I relate in a lot of ways. I am one of the young buckaroos that you, you mentioned. Uh, <laughs> I grew up in the Detroit area and I lived in another community that was referenced in this article is Ave Maria University. It mm-hmm. is a town centered around the church, the oratory. I don't know if they call it the oratory anymore. That's what they called it when I was there. And it, I also think too, it really struck me. So many of my friends are talking to me and they're like, it's so hard for me to meet people mm. people and then of course yeah, i hear that a lot know, i'm a young man right they're all like where i'm looking for a partner i'm looking for a wife like i'm looking for someone that would be i'd consider dating to just to be clear wife. you're not no this is your friend speaking just for the ladies listening tom's all set yes but it's his friend uh, my wife is wonderful i just wanted to make that really yes, clear. very clear but i have friends <laughs> who aren't as lucky as me and i think the hardest thing is now people work remote right so they, they're at home they're working remote. Maybe they go to a gym somewhere. And then at the end of the day, a lot of times, a lot of, a lot of it's internet stuff. So TV, whatever. There's not, and mm-hmm. COVID wrecked a ton of social constructs as well. So yeah. Especially even, at our church. Exactly. Yeah, so, especially at the church. So I'm always like, my advice always is go, go to your, find a church that has a really vibrant community where you're going to be able to, to meet a lot of young people and do activities. I'm a big co-ed sports guy too. Like just go play rec basketball. Like it's the best thing ever. But that being said, <laughs> If I'm that age and I'm really wanting to meet people, the biggest thing for me too, if you're going to marry someone, you have to share my, you have to share your faith, right? I mean, I, I, mm. I, there's stats out there, but if you're, it's so hard to marry someone that doesn't agree with you completely on the big fundamentals. And so if you're in a community where you knew you're going to be surrounded by people that shared that common faith, you'd be taking part in the same activities surrounded by that common faith. You would have so much more walkability to just say hi to people when you walk around. Detroit gets frigid cold. So maybe people will be all bundled up through <laughs> scarves, be saying what up. But at Ave Maria, the coolest, I met my wife at Ave Maria, is we walked around all the time. We were outside all the time. I mean, it's gorgeous in Ave Maria, but that was just part of the, the genius of the design is that mm-hmm. everywhere you go, you could walk. There was a billion activities. Everyone was on the same page. It was awesome. Like, I, and it was so good for me. It really helped form me. It was very formative. And I think, it, I I think you're right. It'd be good like for mental and physical health. And yeah. also you just get to know more people. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I, and Absolutely. I want to I want to add actually if our society were like that I think it would have the you know if you saw I mean I think nowadays the percentage of people who know their immediate neighbors is at probably all-time low. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Whereas 50 yeah. years ago or 80 years ago people actually were more they knew their neighbors more. Mm-hmm. And so if you know your neighbors more, you have a tendency of just like uh, being understanding and realizing that mm-hmm. the guy cutting you off of traffic might be the guy who lives next door to you yeah. and you don't right. want to make him upset and it's easier. But, but in our callous kind of atomized world where everything's virtual or whatever, then the people you see on this uh, uh, in traffic are just people who are in my way and yeah, I can't get to where I want to go way. faster. Mm-hmm. So anything we can try to do to like see people on a regular basis, say, Oh, Hey, how mm-hmm. you doing Fred? You know, that kind of stuff can kind of, mm-hmm. it, it's like the, it, it's good grease for making society work. I want to add too, I think having a public reputation is so important, being known, right? Because mm-hmm. it's not an internet reputation that you can just pretend you're mm-hmm. some different hide identity, behind. hide behind, mm-hmm. whatever. It sh- it it's up. important that people know who you are in your local community because there's a form of accountability that comes with. And the fact that they know the kind of person that you are on a real personal level is a game changer, I think, for people's personal development, but also you have people that you can depend on and, and all of those type of things as well. So I think now in a time of polarization, isolation, depression, stuff like what's going on downtown Detroit there is the answer to all of those. We need more connection. Yeah. I think everyone would agree we need more connection. And I think this is a good way Absolutely. to do it. And I think, um, And I think this is just such a human connection because it's in person, right? And mm-hmm. we have so many online communities for Catholics. Like there, there's no reason you shouldn't be connected with some, someone in your tribe. But if you never actually are together in person, you're missing out on part of who you are. And I did just want to correct myself. It's not St. Aidan Village. It's St. Aubin Village in Detroit connected to yeah. St. Joseph Shrine. And so I just wanted to address the charge that, oh, it's like a cult and this is going to be a commune. But I think what they have going for them with this project 
is that the parishioners are going to own their own homes. Like mm-hmm. it's going to be, they build the homes, people purchase them rather than a commune where you sign on and they're like, here's your plot of land and your <laughs> sheep and you're going to be here and we will control you and you can decorate your house. So I'm sure. I mean, the I'm fact sure that we even feel it needs yeah. to kind of offer that counter is just so well, alien to me. Uh, yeah. I've been involved yeah. in it. <laughs> it's personal, Josh. This is important. It's important that I put this. So they even have on their website, the proposed St. Aubin Village Development is an independent initiative of Bindwood, 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 Ave Ventures, and is not affiliated with St. Joseph's Shrine <laughs> or the Institute of Christ the King. And yeah. I, I think it's important that they do it. And it speaks to what you were saying, yes. but I just don't want anyone coming at me. I, I have a, a few people who come to me in the inbox and gleefully correct me on things, which I love. Keep emailing me. But loop, <laughs> we love loopcast you guys. at catholicboat.org, email me. But I don't want to be corrected this time. So mm-hmm. dumps the facts. So now we knew, yeah. we move on to a really interesting interview with Nate Hockman from the National Review on what the heck is going on in South Dakota. Today we have staff writer at the National Review, Nate Hockman. He wrote an excellent article called How Gender Ideology Conquered South Dakota. Nate, thanks for joining the program, man. Hey, thanks for having me, Tom. Good to be here. Of course. So running right into it, salacious title. It almost felt to me almost like a, a drama made for TV or something. We have rising star Christy Noam, governor of South Dakota. We have major big business, kind of shady interests. And then we have us, kind of the people getting screwed over by all of it. Could you just run us through a basis? What's the story we're talking about here? Yeah, I mean, I think it is sort of a particularly striking story. And one of the reasons I chose South Dakota is because it's such a sort of perfect illustration of what's happening in red states across the country. So South Dakota you know, anyone who's, who knows anything about South Dakota knows it's, it's an extremely conservative state. South Dakotans are one of the most conservative <clears throat> ideologically, you know, voter bases in the country. Mm-hmm. They've been governed by Republican supermajorities for decades. Um, but the Republicans that they actually vote for, at least over the course of the last decade, are not as conservatives as, as their voters, at least on the transgender issue. And I had sort of noticed over the course of the last couple of years that all these sort of transgender bills, including a lot of the transgender bills you'd seen passed in other red states, you know, bans on men and women's sports, ban on sex change surgeries for young children, et cetera, et cetera. They kept failing in South Dakota. They kept dying in this like deeply Republican legislature. Uh, And I looked into it and I found that, you know, almost every single transgender bill that conservatives had tried to pass in South Dakota over the last decade had died either in the state legislature or on the governor's desk. And that's because the largest company in the state, Sanford Health, which is this massive $7.5 billion healthcare company in, the, in Sioux Falls, um, profits from sex change surgeries and, and puberty blockers and has a very, very close relationship with the Republican establishment in mm-hmm. South Dakota. So unfortunately, even though South Dakotans themselves are very conservative, uh, their elected representatives are uh, on the transgender issue, I think, selling them out. Yeah, for sure. And just so people really understand, a lot of these bills are no-brainers, right? So I, I have a list here just to read off so people get the gist. We have uh, conscious rights for doctors to not perform, say, transgender surgeries to prescribe cross-hormone drugs, uh, ban on puberty blockers and sex change surgeries for kids under 16, ban on changing of sex on birth certificate, a bathroom bill, pretty standard issue, uh, parental rights and education bill. And then this one was kind of interesting to report the number of human embryos destroyed in medical facilities. And that really stuck out in the article because when you inquired about it, they almost kind of their attitude was, why do you want to know? What's the big deal? And so all these are just kind of square one day one. Like if you're a general issue, I guess, conservative bend, these have to get passed. So right. what how are they not getting passed? Like you said, they're super majorities. It seems like people elect these people to go govern for the people. Where is the hold up here? I mean, I think it's I'm glad you brought up the embryo reporting bill because that's the most um, it's the best illustration of how there's no other possible explanation other than Sanford Health. Right. I mean, you know, even if you're not a conservative, why what's wrong with sort of transparency about just people being able to know the amount of uh, of of human embryos that are destroyed in medical facilities, but particularly if you're pro-life mm-hmm. and you know, South Dakotans are pro-life. Um, and you're and you're sort of claiming to be a social conservative. Why would you vote to kill that bill? Uh, and the reason, as far as I can tell, is that Sanford Health lobbyists showed up in in the South Dakota legislature and lobbied against it. And they said literally what what you were saying. You know, why do you want to know? Which is it's pretty obvious that they just didn't want people to know. You know how many human embryos they were destroying in facilities. Yeah. But you can go down the list. You know, over and over and over again, 
you have active Sanford employees actually working in, as, as elected lawmakers in the state legislature. And they're both lobbyists and elected lawmakers, which mm-hmm. is a huge conflict. Of interest. <laughs> right. um, yeah. You have a lot of Republican leadership that's heavily funded by Sanford and, it's, and these different sort of Sanford associated lobbying groups. And in, in Christy Nome's office, the, the governor of South Dakota, up until very recently, uh, her closest advisor was a registered Sanford lobbyist. And I had sources uh, in her office last year. Um, feeding me stories about how he would come in and kill these social conservative bills. So, you know, top to bottom, Sanford Health has a lot of control over the GOP in South Dakota, and their actual policy preferences, I think, are at odds with what conservatives uh, should be looking for. Right. And I'm glad you brought up Christy Noem, too, because she's kind of perceived as this rising star of the Republican Party, you know, shooting guns on the 4th of July, talking about how pro-life she is. And then I think it was a big watershed moment for a lot of people to see she vetoed this trans right or it's uh, trans athletes in sports bill. So you have to play the sport with your biological sex uh, together. And so what was surprising, I think, to people is is common sense. You also brought up in your article, it was killed seven times. And I think eventually it got back to her desk. I think she signed something. But the very first, whoa, the entire nation looking, that doesn't make any sense. Every governor is doing something like this. It's almost like a litmus test for someone that's legislating for conservatives. So uh was it illuminating to you to see what Christy Nome had going on in her own house and how has her team kind of responded to those accusations? <laughs> well, the second one is also, you know, it's an interesting question because I sort of got into it with um, her, her chief of communications. But yeah, March 2021, when, when Nome vetoed HB House Bill 1217, which was this bill that had been passed in a lot of other red states, which would basically just very easy, keep biological boys out of girls sports in, you know, high school athletics. Right. maybe elementary school athletics as well. Um, and Noman sort of positioned herself as a conservative fighter with the lockdown, South Dakota being the only state uh, in the country that didn't lock down. Uh, and she vetoed it. Uh, and, and as you pointed out, that was, I think, the eighth version of that bill that had died in, uh, in, in the South Dakota legislature, mm-hmm. uh, which enraged and shocked a lot of conservatives who had sort of seen her as, as this fighter. And at the time, like I mentioned, I looked into it. And Sanford's uh, fingerprints were all over it. There were Sanford lobbyists in her office coming in uh, to to help uh, kill the bill. And the Sanford Sports Complex, which is this massive uh, $50 million uh, or more dollar uh, sports complex in the state, the same day that she had issued her veto, they announced a $50 million expansion of the sports complex. And they were really worried that they were going to lose a lot of revenue if the NCAA boycotted South Dakota like they had in response to other social conservative states like North Carolina. So again, Sanford Health all the way down. Um, but the the response from Nome's team this time was really odd. Uh, and I got a sort of long, angry response from Nome's chief of communications, uh, which, which concluded with another weird wrinkle to this story, which is that he accused me uh, of being a shill for Governor Ron DeSantis. Despite the fact that, as far as I can tell, <laughs> the uh, the story had nothing to do with Ron DeSantis or Florida. My yeah. inquiry had nothing to do with it. I didn't mention. Are you it. working? You working in Florida these days, or where are you at? I'm in D.C. I'm in the swamp <laughs> full time right now. So no gotcha. no links uh, to to Ron DeSantis's office that I'm aware of. Mm-hmm. So telling though, because DeSantis is kind of seen as another rising star, someone that told Disney to say "Go pound sand." So why do you think DeSantis was able to? really tell Disney, hey, no, nah, we're not going to play this over here. And then South Dakota, we have kind of an opposite effect with their big business. I mean, employing seven to one people in their state. So what's the difference there? Well, I think one, to, to be fair, South Dakota is a much smaller, less kind of economically powerful and populous state. So Sanford Health is really the only game in town in mm-hmm. South Dakota. It's, yeah, like you said, the largest employer by nearly 700%. You know, South Dakota is a state of less than a million people full-time residents. That's just not Florida, right? So so the, the sort of power differential between uh, DeSantis and Disney, while Disney is a very powerful company in Florida, it's not the only game in town, whereas Sanford Health sort of is. But, you know, it's also, I think, to give DeSantis credit, it's, it's because uh, Ron DeSantis, I think, sort of understands this new dynamic that we're seeing in red states across the country, where these big businesses increasingly are working with left-wing activists and throwing their weight around to go after social conservatives and often to overturn or kill these social conservative bills that are very popular in the state. Um, And you just have not seen that in the same way from South Dakota Republicans, which I think is a shame. Right. And you also mentioned in your article, there's something called the Transformation Project. It's a a very organized 
well thought out uh, trans activist group uh, that do conferences in Sioux Falls and South Dakota, Dakota, etc. They were very influential as well. And I, I just so people are clear, what was their involvement in terms of what happened in South Dakota? Right. So this is what originally brought my attention to, to, to sort of writing this piece is that there's on January 13th, there's going to be this big Midwest gender identity conference in Sioux Falls in South Dakota. Um, and, you know, you don't really think, like I said, of, of South Dakota as the kind of state where you'd find a gender identity conference. But it's this huge sort of meeting of, you know, transgender medical specialists, activists, experts, et cetera. And it's being co-hosted by Sanford Health and this trans activist group, the Transformation Project. The Transformation Project, uh, their main focus is gender dysphoric children, transgender kids. They were, you know, were on the sort of front edge of the spear of killing this ban on puberty blockers for kids. And they're extremely well funded, mostly without a state money from sort of LGBT activist groups in places like California. But it's just another example of how these sort of large national forces in this very powerful national coalition are able to sort of parachute into these sort of smaller red states like South Dakota and just consistently override the will of the people. Yeah. And so the will of the people comes up. It feels very discouraging knowing there's well-organized, well-funded interest groups that are kind of uh, intermingling with people that are legislating, right? And then also uh, the pressure from big business. So what's the response from just a common everyday person that just wants to see, not have their kids be mutilated essentially and, and have their legislators represent them? How can we put their feet to the fire, I guess? What's the answer to this? Well, look, I mean, it sounds sort of a little cliche as a prescription, but you know, Republican voters, I think, have to start paying attention. And it's not to impugn Republican voters in South Dakota. Look, most people have better things to do uh, with, with their life than to sort of scrutinize every sort of policy decision that their elected representatives make. You know, people have jobs, they've got families, they've got church to go to, they've got kids to raise, right? Like it's, mm -hmm. you know, sort of paying a lot of attention to politics. Uh, it often falls, you know, further down on, on their priority list. But South Dakotans, like I said, are very conservative people. Uh, they would be horrified if they found out that this was going on in their state. And I've been inundated with messages and emails since I wrote this piece going, I had no idea that this was happening in my state. Um, and they think, I think, uh, something that, that might have been true in, a, in, a, in another era, which is that if they vote for someone with an R next to their name, that person is going to fight for their values. Uh, and we've just seen from the GOP, not just in South Dakota, but across the country in the last few years, that uh, there are a lot of Republicans who I think are not aligned with what Republican voters think, particularly on co cultural and social issues. And Republican voters, I think, need to, to sort of draw some bright red sign, lines in the sand and, and say that that's unacceptable and that there will be consequences for betraying them on these really important cultural issues. Yeah. And Nate, you're, you're an excellent writer. You're pretty good at investigating. I mean, I was shocked when I saw this. I'm in the game as well. So- why? Why was this not more well known before your piece? Why are the average person not able to do this? I feel like it has to be something a little bit more than, oh, we just weren't really paying attention. There has to be some type of concerted effort to just lock this down, right? Well, sure. Right. I mean, you know, Christy Nome and the sort of South Dakota GOP establishment is not interested in broadcasting that they're killing, you know, bans on sex change surgeries or the chemical castration of 12 year olds, right? Like they are from South Dakota. Christy Nome clearly is someone who has national ambitions and wants to project this image as a, as a conservative fighter. Um, and she understands that stories like this and, and a lot of the sort of unflattering revelations about her uh, would have negative consequences for, for her sort of ambitious goals. So it's it's not just that sort of people aren't paying attention. It's that this is happening very quietly behind the scenes and you really have to kind of dig into it to put the puzzle pieces together. Um, but, you know, that's ideally what good journalism is for. Uh, and yeah. you know, hopefully since I wrote this piece, you know, some some South Dakotans have sort of woken up to that the situation. Yeah. And I can tell you one thing. I haven't seen this on Fox News. I haven't seen this on CNN. I haven't seen this on mm -hmm. any major things. What do you think the role of independent journalism is going to play here in the next four or five years? Well, I think it's it's everything to a certain extent. I mean, we've seen how much citizen journalism has has played, you know, really pivotal roles in political developments over the last few years. I will say, you know, the most valuable resource that I had, because I worked on this piece for two plus months, um, were these little conservative blogs run by, you know, normal private citizens in South Dakota who had spent, you know, all their free times, you know, stayed up late nights, uh, digging into old campaign finance reports and 
you know, putting together different like lobbying meetings reports. And they had, you know, a couple local friends in the state legislature, you know, these little blogs, again, no big money behind them, probably not very much, you know, no money at all, uh, of just South Dakotans who loved their state, were conservative, who cared about it, who knew something fishy was going on, uh, and were kind of digging into it. Uh, that 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 allowed me to sort of come in and put the put the puzzle pieces together. So again, particularly in states like South Dakota, where stuff like this is going on, anyone can be a journalist now. Anyone can have Twitter. Anyone can have a you know Substack or a blog or something like that, and you can do really invaluable work that way. Uh, and I'm certainly you know grateful for the people on the ground in South Dakota who did that. Yeah, for sure. And speaking of Twitter, Nate Hockman, great follow. I actually was telling him before this. I followed him for a little while. And the, the biggest change was you changed your national review picture to the AI generated thing, which I do talk about later in this episode. So you threw me off. But yes, I have been following for a while. It's back, actually. The AI is gone. <laughs> I decided AI is kind of demonic. So Freak, freaks me out, man. I, yeah, I, super, later super. in the episode, foreshadowing freaks me out. So yeah, <laughs> go give Nate a follow. Go check out his work at the National Review. Seriously, excellent piece. Hopefully, we'll be able to have you back when you break the next big story. Awesome. Thanks, man. All right. Welcome back from the interview. Really enjoyed it. Erica, you have something that you must mention or we will be in trouble. That's right. So this is a shout out to Sarah Chastain and all the team at Catholic Vote. Uh, this morning, we dropped Loopcast and we also are dropping an ebook detailing. It's called Churches Are Burning and it is detailing the rise in violence against Catholic churches, um, particularly since the George Floyd riots in May of 2020. Um, and it just details uh, what's been happening and especially why the Department of Justice has not been investigating or prosecuting these crimes. And I think you will be surprised to learn the scope of what has been going on. We are at levels of violence against Catholic churches, vandalism, burning that we haven't seen since the Ku Klux Klan. And I'm dropping that name because, yeah, it's going to get your attention, but it's actually what's really going on. So head over to Catholic Vote dot org backslash ebook download your copy today and also find out what you can do to help push back on this and to demand accountability from the department of justice check it out another week another twilight zone probably the easiest piece of content to put together at catholic vote because we live in a world stranger than fiction so <laughs> erica you came ready to roll let's go uh, you first okay this is just like my dad was a pediatrician growing up so this kind of thing just rankles me beyond what I can even talk about. Good but word. this week we had CBS News covering a story um, on how uh, pediatricians and uh, medical providers are now advised to prescribe drugs or weight reduction surgery, weight loss surgery to children under the age of 13. I didn't even know they were doing it over the age of 13. Um, who are struggling with obesity. But this was the quote that got me. Aaron Kelly, Dr. Aaron Kelly, co-director for the Center for Pediatric Obesity Medicine at the University of Minnesota said, quote, obesity is not a lifestyle problem. It is not a lifestyle disease. It predominantly emerges from biological factors. I was like, well, that's interesting. I'm going to go do some research. Turns out in 1980, the year before I was born, 5% of children were diagnosed as obese, 5%. Today, obesity affects nearly 20% of kids and teens in the United States. That's a nearly 50% increase. So did our biology change? Our biological factors all changed 50%. Erica, I know you're saying so this that, in a kind oh, of an oh, ironic, no. joking tone, but I mean, 1984, I'm not kidding. <laughs> Within 10 years, they could totally brainwash mm -hmm. a generation that that's the truth. That oh, obesity. yeah. That you're obese. You're not obese because you should change your diet or your behavior, but you're just obese because of biological factors. I mean, here's the thing. I I obviously have struggled well with my weight for my entire lifetime, uh -huh. you know, and I've seen it go up and down. And, and I could say, you know, I I don't like it when we say, oh, it's just biology. I mean, is there some sort of bio, um, physiological predisposition that makes yes, it easier absolutely. to gain weight? Probably. But you know what? Exercise and cutting back on sugar is a huge way to get off that. And I've I have lived healthier by mm -hmm. following the guidelines just because it's not easy for me. Maybe it's harder for me. You two guys are totally skinny. Uh, no, it's not a problem for you, but. <laughs> I, I don't think it helps anybody by saying, oh, it's just a disease. Yeah. 
No, and it certainly doesn't help children, right? If you're telling children, oh, you need an inhaler for your asthma and you need these drugs to control your weight. Follow the money. Follow the money. Who's making money money off this? There is no Mm -hmm. money to be made in take some walks, get outside, stop eating. Drink more water. Stop drinking. Stop drinking pop. Soda. Guess who funded the biggest study on Coca (laughs) on on pop, whether or not it was adverse to your health or not? Do you want it? You have any guesses as to who put the money up for that? Um, Coca Cola. Coca Cola. And guess what? It came back. Okay, it's not that bad. What do we think is mm. going on? It's like the FDA has done. Here's the funny thing, up. though. It, I think it's kind of crazy. Though. It's like a, a long time conservative leaning people wouldn't say that kind of stuff because they're like, oh, I don't want to attack businesses. I'll attack them. It's, like, it's they're listen. Yeah, no, I I welcome this. I think you know, like you know, because the, the the worry here, you know, twenty years ago, if you'd have said something like that, is you're attacking businesses and the communists are coming for us and you know you can't do that it's like you know what coca-cola isn't your friend they're anyway. the communists i mean well, <laughs> i know what what did we just talk what did i just talk to nate about it's big business interests actually infiltrating straight infiltrating states and pushing uh lawmakers around it's not the other way so it's and just it's always as bad. the case that big businesses big businesses preach capitalism but they want government protection for themselves right they they want mm-hmm. their competitors to have to go through the competitions right. of capitalism they don't want it yeah and mm-hmm. and i'm not even here to play moral high ground or whatever just i think people need to stop being so naive and look at the uh incentive structures of course it's it's in that big businesses interest to eliminate competition right that's how they make more money mm-hmm. that's how they grow that's how they get money for the shareholders it's just i think the internet has actually been pretty integral in revealing to people that hey, maybe these people that are coming out with these official studies and have all these big titles maybe don't have your best interests in mind and don't really care about their health, that they're actually trying to fund their bottom line and get their people paid and whatever. It's it's not really what, you know, what was done 100 years ago and why obesity was not really even a thing. Uh, and so I just think the internet's been great at revealing independent journalism. There's been independent news sources. I mean, guys like Joe Rogan has put people on to these really interesting diets. I'm not here to advise on. I'm not a health expert. <laughs> I, I don't know. I'd go that extreme as Joe Rogan. Look, just <laughs> eat beef liver all or the Jordan time. Jordan Peterson. Yeah. Liver King. <laughs> Jordan Peterson like only eats steak or something. Oh, he's on the carnivore diet. Nice carnivore the diet. Carnivore diet. Everyone's different. Like, carnivore diet has a lot of benefits for some people. Maybe Look, I'm not here to him. say what doesn't or does not work. But for pe- rich people. But the, the point is that people <laughs> should have their own choice to... Yeah. choose what works for them and what doesn't consume what information they want to and not take others. It's the expert class coming down with, Oh, this is the God. It's honest interesting truth. though. Like, like just, just to tie this up with a bow, like I, the, the, for a long time, conservatives would be, you know, uh, skeptical about the government and the left would be skeptical mm-hmm. about corporations. And the answer is actually both. Both like, of them. Because they work together. You, you should right. be skeptical of Coca-Cola Twitter and files. the profit incentives they have. You should also be skeptical of the USDA. Like maybe actually if you're a multinational b- 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 billion dollar company, maybe you're right. trying to influence senators and congressmen, you know, to try to get the USDA to put out stuff, say, you know, the food pyramid, which should be totally uh, was ups- upside down for the longest time. Like you should right. eat tons of mm-hmm. grains. Like, yeah, no. No, you shouldn't. You should eat tons of Turns vegetables. Out. I mean, it's like, how could this happen? You know, and so liberals just think, oh, well, the government's there to protect us. The government is all of us together. So you know, naive. It's like, give me a break. You know, conservatives are right that you should be skeptical of your government. And liberals can, on this, are actually kind of right, be skeptical of corporations. But it's flipped. So yeah. now liberals are like, trust mm-hmm. government and trust corporations, whereas now conservatives are like, don't trust uh, anyone. Wait a minute. <laughs> Maybe we shouldn't trust either. So it's kind the of a crazy. Re- it's a realignment of sorts. It's crazy. Yeah. Well, speaking of not trusting anyone in the Twilight Zone, uh, my Twilight Zone this week is AI. AI is on the big hot seat, man. There's this thing called ChatGPT. You basically can type in prompts to it and it'll spit back whatever you want. It's pretty unbelievable. Like you you got to explain this to somebody who like I'm five yeah. years old. Right. What Pretend the heck I'm are you five. talking about? All What's right. going on, Pogo? That's the beauty First of all, what is AI? <laughs> <laughs> all right. AI stands for artificial intelligence. Right. Okay. And there's a AI based software called ChatGPT. You can Google it right now. You can. I'm Googling it right now. Type in. You could type in. Listen to the Loopcast 
and give a monologue like Tom would give Tom, the host Tom Pogasic would give, and it would spit something at you. It's pretty unbelievable and kind of scary. So there's actually a lot of schools now that are really on guard for their students using this to say, just copy paste the, the uh, prompt, put it in. It'll spit back, you know, a five page essay, whatever you need. That's fine. Give it back. And what's scary about this to me is it's really the, the early stages of what they're saying the potential for this is. Mm-hmm. So that's just on the complete hot seat twilight zone as a whole. I think that people will probably adapt to it. It will be more integrated in ways that we won't even think about five years from now. But I think both sides will be kind of using it. Like I think teachers will also be using AI to detect whether or not an AI is using something to cheat. Like it's just all boats are going to rise. I don't know. AI kind of scares me. My twilight zone is if, if someone wants to do it, you know, make a loop cast episode on Ch- chat GBT. And if it's convincing, Ooh. you might take my job, but yeah. Not Challenge accepted. To, <laughs> yeah, hey, you can't, you can't take my job. You're already on the show. I don't want your but, job, Tom. <laughs> yeah. That's all. AI is, I don't know. Scary stuff. Yeah, well, I think people are just going to have to get, I think people are just going to have to get more skeptical about things that they see because you know, it's artificial intelligence plus, you know, just there's also the aspect of where you can take video and and create fake what fake deep deep videos fakes where yeah. Right. yeah, deep fakes where it looks like Tom Cruise is saying something, but it's not him, it's someone else. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. just in general, we just need to be a little bit more skeptical of the things that we see and that kind of thing. Yeah, they haven't mm-hmm. been able to figure out how to give people like not dead eyes though. Anytime I see one of those AI videos, the eyes are always dead. I'm going to blink my eyes really hard now. So no. <laughs> this is all an AI episode, by the way. The whole thing is AI. Phoned it in this week. If all I were Mercer. artificial, would I look like this? Come on. <laughs> Come on, man. Uh, Mercer, what do you got, Twilight Zone? Well, I, you know, in terms of the Twilight Zone, I mean, is it altogether that surprising? You know, uh, you'll, you'll remember that President Trump was lambasted significantly for having classified documents at his home in Mar-a-Lago. Yeah, well, it turns out uh, there were classified documents at the uh, Penn-Biden Center in Washington, D.C., which is affiliated with the University of Pennsylvania. These are classified documents that were taken from the White House when uh, Joe Biden was vice president under President Obama. And so to me, it's just like hilarious. It's like, and now you're seeing all these Catholic lefties are making apologies for it. It's like, well, you know, this doesn't look like it's that big of a deal. And it just, to me, just strikes me as yet another example where, you know, I, I would say if the media didn't have a double standard, they'd have no standards at all. <laughs> you know, did you, what, did you see what, the view ladies went to bat for Joe Biden on this one? Oh, of what course sh- they did. Well, I know you're a faithful <laughs> viewer of that show, yeah. but it's great content. I'm a big whoopee fan. It is. The gift that keeps on giving. Yeah. <laughs> she was great in Sister Act. Uh, yeah, that was pretty fun. Yeah, no, I was just scrolling through uh, Politico and Axios. and uh, They're not even covering the story. They're not even, whereas when, when the Mar-a-Lago raid happened. Oh, my happened, gosh. I mean, it Front was page, months. everything. Front page, every day, all day long for months. That's all they talked about. And it's not even, it's not even covered. Well, it's not right coverage. Now, it's it's an it's a. It's an apologia. Not right. on Politico. It's like it's a tiny little news. Well, it's, it's a tiny blip. It's a tiny yeah. blip right. or they like trot out the apologia for why it's not bad. It's like you are. It's right. not true, unbiased coverage. It's, hey, this is why it actually isn't that bad and why Trump was way worse and he's the evil one. It's like, mm-hmm. this is why we're here, guys. Yeah. Like we need so independent. And the thing is, if they, if they do this on. in every because they do this on every different situation, everything that comes down the pike every time. Then what you just you create a situation where people are like if if you know it's it's sort of like you know crying wolf right so how would you expect any Republican or conservative to take you seriously if you said no actually in this case what Biden did was kind of stupid but what Trump did was actually much worse if that were actually true right if okay, you could give a little- why would anyone believe you like <sighs> you, you you know you've burned every bridge possible you know if. So to me, that's frustrating. That's it's just another example of corruption and scandal, and and more and more people just just tuning them out. Um, but it, it, there are still, of course, millions of Americans who 
consume this sort of news media and they're just like, you know, oh, what? No, I didn't hear about that. Because why would they have heard about that? Because it's not <laughs> mentioned on the nightly news. It's not mentioned on CNN. And they, they don't subscribe to the loop. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> and on that night, no, go subscribe to the loop. But this does us in for this episode. Thank you so much for watching. We really appreciate it. Uh, cats out of the bag. I actually answer the emails. Uh, you can contact me directly through loopcast at catholicvote.org. I really enjoy hearing from you guys. Uh, if you really want to help us out, go leave us a review on whatever platform you're listening on. Uh, shoot us five stars if you think this is great. Uh, it really helps boost us in the algorithm. We really appreciate it. And that does us in for this one. We'll see you on the next one. Bye, guys.